Hello, everybody, and welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. Now, I am neither Andy Bannister nor am I Christy Mayer. I am Gavin Matthews from Solus, and I, we are not being joined by Christy this afternoon. She is busy with her day job down in London, but we are, I hope, joined by Andy Bannister. Are you there, Andy? I am. I am neither Christy Mayer nor Gavin Matthews, so at least <laughs> we all know who we are. This is good. So, uh, so yes, it's. Uh, I am. I am coming to you from the other other end of the country. Uh, today, having just got back from Scotland, actually, mm. so you and I were together, weren't we, for a couple of days doing some stuff in Aberdeen, and now we are back in our respective home environments recording a podcast, but who have we got? We're delighted that we are being joined by Mike Davidilio. Now, help me with pronouncing your surname. How do I say it properly? That you almost did, Virgilio. Almost. How, how close. close is it? Virgilio. Yeah, very that, close. D. Virgilio, yes. <laughs> Marvellous. Now, you are amongst the elect because you are joining us for a second time as a repeat guest on was, Pep Talk. Uh, a blessing. It's like, wow, you're having me back. I must not have totally blown it the first time. <laughs> you, we, yeah, exactly. You just had so many heresies, we thought we'd give you a second chance to fix it. So, yeah. <laughs> so you, your bio describes you as an author, a, a writer, a businessman, a husband, a father, and now a, a grandfather as well. Is that correct? Oh, man. Yeah. A little Eleanor. She's uh, nine, nine months old. So Fantastic. And your latest book is called Uninvented, How the Bible Could Not Have Been Made Up and the Evidence That Proves It. That's quite an intriguing title for a book. So what set you on the path of of writing a book with a title like that? Well, um, I I became a Christian a long time ago when I was in college and uh, was exposed to Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Is There. And so I was exposed to apologetics, which basically just means defending the Christian faith. And uh, and it was it was incredible because I realized the only reason I believed in Christianity is because it's true. And then I learned that there's all this evidence and in, in every kind of philosophy and think that it really can prove to be true. So um, so in my early Christian life, I was involved in that and got away from it. And then 2009 got back into apologetics and um, read and listened to a lot of stuff and. Uh, I was shocked how there's been this explosion in resources for apologetics, for defending the Christian faith. And one of the themes that I read as I was writing my first book, which is called The Persuasive Christian Parent, uh, was this idea of uninvented, which is not a real word. I made it up for the book, but that things could not be invented. It's all over the apologetics literature. And it just made so much sense to me. And I was so impressed with it that after I got done with my first book, I said, I have to write something about that that, because that's great. Mm. I think. Most Christians don't really see the book is for lay Christians. It's for people not quote, mm. into apologetics or philosophy or whatever. They just, just everyday Christian who's loves God and wants to mm. share their faith with others. Yeah. So, so on that note, it's interesting you say kind of everyday Christian because one of the things that we've we've actually learned at at Solas, like you, we're passionate about apologetics. It's very very helpful. Um, but we know there's people who don't know what that word means. So, you know, if listening to this podcast, you know, you're like, well, I've heard that word. What is it? We always explain it in terms of persuasive evangelism. It's evangelism with a bit of persuasion behind it. But look, Mike, I want to pick you up with the titles. You said, you know, unintended, you know, there's uh, the, the Christian message, the Bible couldn't be made up. So let's dive right into that because, okay. you know, I meet skeptics who will go, well, of course it's made up. That's That's what it is, right? You know, I don't know. 300 years after the purported events, the church all got together and they just made stuff up. And so the whole thing is fictitious. And, of course, you would say that that claim itself is utterly fictitious. But why can't it be made up? What is, what's some of the things that convince you that the kind of made-up explanation 
for, for particularly the Gospels, but the Bible as well. I mean, what, why does that not fly, do you think? Yeah, it applies to the whole, the whole Bible. But the Gospels are especially powerful. Mm. Um, well, I would ask that person the question is, how do you know it could be made up? And so, and, and what it really comes down to, and I use a, a big phrase here, so it's question-begging anti-supernatural bias. And that's the reason they believe it could be made up. I'll get to another reason a little bit later, but but question to beg the question simply, we think it means to raise the question nowadays, which it does, but to beg the question means to assume the premise. So you just you don't argue for the, the basic premise of your ideas, you just assume them and go on. So in this example, this the premise is anti-supernatural bias. So they don't believe miracles can happen. They read a miracle in the Bible and they, oh, that couldn't happen. It must have been made up. And that's a complete bias. There's, there's no substance in it because they haven't proved naturalism is true, that the material world is all. And so in the first chapter, I go over the history of biblical criticism <clears throat> and where that came from, the Enlightenment and rationalism and empiricism and all that stuff in philosophy. But secularism is the world we live in. And that's just trickled down hmm. and that everyone believes, of course, that it's made up. But it, it's, as I argue, I believe it's impossible to have been made up, literally impossible. Hmm. And there are many reasons for that. Did I catch you earlier on saying that uninvented is a word that you uh, invented? Because <laughs> <laughs> that was a rather beautifully no kind intended, of right? <laughs> okay, yeah. that, that was very nice. I, I, I did enjoy so. that. <laughs> well, what's nice is when you go into uh, Amazon and you put in uninvented, it does unintended or unintended. Hmm. But my, the, my book comes up first because there's no other word. And, and I did a lot of searching for invented mm -hmm. Bible gospels. And there's a lot of atheists hmm. who've written books that, oh, yeah, it's invented. It's a piece of cake. No problem. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, you, you pick up in the book is the idea that if someone was going to fabricate uh, something in the Bible, they, there's no way that in their cultural context they would have put in the things that they put in. I suppose most famously, of course, um, that you hear every Easter is that if you were fabricating the accounts of the resurrection, you would not have put women as the first uh, witnesses of the resurrection because back in those very sexist days, the, the testimony of a woman wasn't, wasn't counted in a court. And so if you were fabricating it, that's just not the way you would have done it in that context. But you say this happens again and again through scripture, things which it's just, they just wouldn't have done it that way if they were making right. it up. What if you could run us through a few of those kind of examples, maybe from different genres of scripture, um, of things which just jar with the context? Right. Well, I think the overarching idea that makes that so powerful, the argument, is that I, I write a chapter on the Jewish context of Jesus's world. And it would be very easy in the first couple hundred years of biblical criticism, they all believed it was just basically a pagan, you know, a little bit of history. And in the pagans, a Christian who were not Jews had basically made up the miracle stuff and so on and so forth. But we know that the Bible, all of the text comes from the first century, and they were all Jews. And it would be very difficult, uh, impossible to make up a Jewish Messiah. A pagan one might be not that hard. But p the critics who say, oh, yeah, it was very... They, call, they say myth and, myths and fairy tales, and it doesn't read anything like myths or fairy tales, right? It reads like eyewitness testimony. And so it's the Jewish context that makes it very, very impossible to make up. So I don't know. You just brought up the example of women. And, you know, <laughs> you, you read through the, new, the, the Gospels, and the men look like cowards, and, uh, you know, they're backbiting, they're looking for power, and the women come off looking a whole lot 
better, mm-hmm. like heroic. And there's very almost nothing negative that I can think of that's said about them. If you're a Jew writing to other Jews in the mm-hmm. first century and you want them to believe you, you don't put that in there. Mm-hmm. You make the you make the the guys look like the heroes. But here's a great example is Peter. He's the, the rock, right? The early church is built on him. He's the leader. And he denies even knowing Jesus three times, right? He comes up, I'm going to, I'm going to, eh, and he becomes an utter coward in the most mm-hmm. important time for his sake. And we know that the, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to dive into a bit to that, uh, to, Mike, to sort of unpack some of it. So I think that's, I think that's, um, I think that's remarkably helpful. I was just going to, as an aside, say that I've just started watching because I'm very, very late to the party. I've just started watching with Chosen, you know, which has done, you know, great work because popularizing the Gospels and accessible. And I was very struck in the first episode that Peter is portrayed as this very impetuous, you know, he's doing a street fighting. He's a, he's a bit of a, you know, he's a bit of a ruffian. And to go, I think I catches it really well because you're right. When you read the Gospels, he doesn't come across as this heroic father of the church who's amazing. He comes across as somebody who's a little bit, you know, unreliable. First to open his mouth, confident, yeah, certainly bold and confident, but actually also, you know, not totally reliable. And you're right to go, I remember as a young Christian thinking, that's interesting. And the other thing I was going to just throw at you and see if you think there's anything in this. You mentioned that idea about legends and myths and fairy tales, because that's often thrown at us, right? And to go, one of the things I remember reading somewhere that's pointed out is that's an absolute category mistake because myths and legends and fairy tales never have an exact time and date and place and address. They're always like once upon a time in some mystical past. Right. It wasn't until about 200 years ago, actually, that the first writers had the idea of writing historical fiction. Um, you know, the, t- the time the Gospels come from, yeah, myths and legends look. So if you were to ask a question like, you know, what was the date when Odin was hung on the tree? It's a nonsensical question. You'd be a daft fool to ask it. But the Gospels have a date and a time and a location. That's very powerful, right? Yes, and here's here's the point that you're making that is so powerful for evangelism, is that the first goal of your with your non-Christian family or friends is to get them to read the Bible. Because you ask them, oh, they're missing fairy tales. Yeah, written a long time ago. <clears throat> have you ever read it? And I'm, I don't know what the percentage is, but if, given the state of secular education in America and England and so, very few have actually opened it up. And uh, I've, I've listened to hundreds and hundreds of testimonies after the, over the last few years. <clears throat> and so many times the person who's challenging them says, just go read the Bible. I start with the Gospel of John, but Matthew, I just read a, an ex-atheist read Acts. And he used the phrase, you know, I can't, this couldn't be made up. I said, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And, and it brought him to faith in Christ eventually. Mm-hmm. So getting them to read it and then educating. <clears throat> Why don't you think this could be true? And then I, I would tell him, question begging anti-supernatural bias. I would just say, you don't think miracles can happen. Do you believe in God? Yeah, most people, 95% of people. Then do you believe miracles are possible? Sure. Okay, read the Bible, read the Gospels in that light. Don't just reject them because you think miracles can't happen. That's not fair. And I think you open minds when you do that kind of stuff because you're educating them. Here's why you don't. You could talk about the Jewish nature, you know, depending on how deep you get into the relationship with the person and, and examples. But it's just so – and God's word, of course, he says in Isaiah 59, will not return to him void. It has power. And the Holy Spirit makes that happen. So, But there's so much – I, I use the phrase – verisimilitude. 
which simply means the appearance of being real mm-hmm. and, and plausible and believable. And the, the Gospels, the whole Bible, it's true, the whole Bible, has it in spades. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't read it and think it's a myth or a fairy tale. As soon as, like Andy says, as soon as you read it, you'll go, huh, that wasn't. And this is the common theme through so many testimonies. That wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. Or that Jesus, Jesus is, so you asked about different examples, mm-hmm. and we could go in the Old Testament, but Jesus, I, I have a chapter called The Conundrum That Is Jesus. And, 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 and uh, The Chosen does it well, but to me, I talk about in the book uh, Jesus of Nazareth, which is a miniseries back in the 70s. And I thought they portrayed, Franco Zifarelli was the director, Jesus so well because he, nobody got him. He confused everyone. He was an utter conundrum. And, you know, how do you, and, and that, that applied to his teaching as well as his personality. <laughs> and, 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 of course, the miracles, because nobody was expecting a miracle-working Messiah like that. They wanted to conquer Rome. You know, it's Davidic king and so on and so forth. So um, I could go def- several different directions with that. <laughs> but the, the examples are legion. Literally, and, and and I just just scratched the surface in the book. The goal is to get people to think. I want to I want to divert one thing. Um, I, I initially was going to call it psychological apologetics, but of course nobody would have known what the heck that meant. But but when you read the text and the psychology of the people portrayed, it reads so real. They all act when when Jesus is walking on water, or Peter's walking on water. They're utterly. They act like real people would be shocked by this and surprised, like they don't expect it. And so it, and there was no such thing as fiction in the first century. Hmm. If, if you're making that up, then that's worthy of any 21st, 20th century fiction writer because it's just genius. And that's why it's lasted 2,000 years. Lies don't last 2,000 years. And, and do you think Western civilization? Do you think that the most clearly uninvented thing in it all is the crucifixion because it struck me looking at this that if you're a roman the hero of the story is not a con- you know a conquering caesar he's a man mm. hanging on the cross if you're a greek that's foolishness if you're a jew that's a curse what's what's the hero of the piece doing dangling on a, on a roman cross that seems to be the most surprising thing of all it is and especially in a jewish context i mean pagans could not conceive of it either because the cross Crucifixion was the most brutal form of torture, and it was an embarrassment, and everybody hated it, but it was effective mm-hmm. <laughs> to keep Romans in power. Tom Holland wrote Dominion. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with that book. Yeah. Big book, but it's powerful because he isn't really even a Christian, and he shows how ridiculous it is. And it's literally <laughs> the Jew. There was nothing in Judaism, because I, I studied the intertestamental period between Malachi and John. And there was never any inkling of a Messiah who would die as an atonement for sin. That just wasn't there. So, or, or he would suffer. Again, he's a, he's a conquering king in the line of David. So he's the one who inflicts punishment on his you know, enemies, not the other way around. John the Baptist expressed, when he baptized him, and before that, he's got the winnowing fork in his hand, and he's going to judge the sin and all this. And it was just the opposite. So how do you make up that Messiah that you can't, con- a Jew couldn't conceive? Hmm. Literally, 
there's nothing in their imagination, in their teaching, in their history that would ever get them to it. That's how impossible it would be to make up. Mm -hmm. And I can go on because the crucifixion itself, as you said, hung on a cross under God's curse. Mm -hmm. That was even worse. If he had been stoned, as I talk about in the book, that would be understandable because you get stoned for blasphemy. (laughs) But under God's curse on a tree, the Messiah? Only well, a resurrection. Course, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And of course, Paul picks that Paul picks that up in Corinthians, right? Doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Talking about the fact this the cross is this, you know, it's lunacy, it's total foolishness to the Greeks, and just this incredible stumbling block to. to I think one of the things I, I've often wondered with this, Mike, that we're almost we're so almost victims of our own success as Christians because we take <laughs> the cross so much. It's become a symbol of, of 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 hope and forgiveness and love. You know, we we wear it on we wear it as jewelry. In the way that you would you wouldn't dream of wearing a gallows or an electric chair around your neck, and so we've almost before we can explain this to our friends, we've got to remind ourselves of what this actually was and how shocking it was. We've almost, almost normalized it, right? Shocking is the great word because we've lived with two thousand years of it dominating Western culture. So, of course, the birth, which is also would be impossible to make up, because monotheistic Jews don't make up Yahweh becoming a baby. They just don't do that, right? But it's in the crash and the, the, the animals and Jesus and Mary, meek and mild and all that stuff. And it's cute and baby Jesus. And like, that's re- the incarnation's ridiculous. And the cross, the same way. It's just something we take for granted. And so when someone says he made it up, you, you know, you realize you're living in with 2,000 years of Christian history. And that's the only way you can say it, say it. Then you bring them back to the Jewish world and the Messiah that was expected. And and it's really not hard because do you, I've taught my kids, you don't have to really know anything. You just have to know how to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And it helps to know things, of course, but, but it's myths and fairy tales that can be made up. How do you know that? Well, I, 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 I don't know. I just, well, um, do you know anything about the Jewish nature of uh, the world Jesus lived in? Well, no. Do you know the expectations of the Messiah that Jews had at the time? No. Well, why don't you read the Bible? So there's three questions. Why don't you read the Gospel of John? And if they're serious, they will. Mm-hmm. You know, it's beautiful. It's so simple because uh, it can't be. And, and in terms of the book itself, are, are you primarily aiming at a Christian audience trying to encourage them? Or is it the sort of book which would be suitable to give to a non-Christian person who was interested in these issues? Well, yeah, that, that is, a, I think, an important question because I wanted it initially to the lay Christian. I think I say it in there. <clears throat> who isn't involved in apologetics, doesn't know anything about it, but their confidence in the Bible needs to be. Because I never believed the Bible was made up, and all of us who are conservative Christians believe in the inerrancy and the divine nature of the God of Word of God. We don't believe it's made up, but could it be? So in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe it could be. Hmm. But I didn't know anything about, even though I'm a seminary graduate and I'm well-read and all that, I didn't know almost all the stuff I wrote about about since I've learned in the last, say, 10 years, that it can't be. So in that sense, I wanted it to build the confidence of my brothers and sisters in Christ that this book is you can you can bank your life and death on it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But the evangelism just it flows naturally. From yeah. mm-hmm. Well, we're, I, we're almost at the top of the, uh, the end of our time, Mike. We mentioned evangelism, so that'd be a great question to end on, really. Obviously, you're, you've been researching this for a long time. You know, you're a thinker, a bit of a philosopher, a bit of a historian, writer. So for someone who's listening to this, going, this is great. I'm so glad, you know, Mike's on our team because he knows all this stuff. But, you know, I'm not an expert. I couldn't use this. How can somebody who's like, 
a regular a regular Joe, a regular Jane get digging into into this. Obviously, they can read your book, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. How do they start? Because you know you're practiced in this, but for someone who isn't, where's a, where's a good place to try and begin conversations around this with with non Christians? Yes, with non Christians. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> you have to. Um, I think we talked about when we talked about the persuasive Christian parent last time, is that your Christianity has to consume you. It has to be your passion. It has to be the entirety meaning of your life. And, you know, when something's important to a person, they're going to talk about it. It could be sports. It could be hobbies, right? So it has to grab you. <clears throat> so that's an impossible question to answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> but everyone <laughs> in their relationships is so different. But um, my daughter had a, has a relationship with uh, a gal she w- worked at a school with, and she was with her recently in Colorado. And I say, did you bring up Christianity? Because she works at a Christian school, but she's not a Christian. And I told her to ask her questions. And I, so I lectured her after that about how you can just ask questions and you don't have to be, you don't have to be uh, offensive or pushy. And if the person's open to it, boom, you start a conversation. You know, what do you think about the Bible? Have you ever read the Bible? What, what do you believe? What's your worldview, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. So again, I think questions are just a huge thing. And again, if the person's not open, I was saying a long time ago is don't try to teach a pig to sing. It just frustrates you and irritates the pig. <laughs> so if someone's not open, let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about politics. No, let's not talk about politics. Let's talk about, you know, anything. I really, I'm not interested in shoving my quote religion down your Mm-hmm. But you know, you're a sinner, and you know you need the living God. And I'm going to probe that. Are you satisfied with your life? Mm-hmm. What gives your life meaning and hope? Frust- and on and on. There's just so many ways to go about it. But it has to be. Uh, you have to want to do it. You know, you yeah. have to just be. I can't not talk about this. Think about when the resurrection happened. So th- looking at it psychologically, P- Peter says we could do no other. It's just mm-hmm. coming out of us because he rose from the dead that all of their expectations were overturned upside down and inside out. And it took the resurrection to prove it to them. There's no way Jews believe that, right? Yeah. You Unless alone you have can... the words of eternal life. That, that's the, 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 the great conclusion. Amen. We, we've run out of minutes. Sorry, we could talk, oh, we could talk on and on, but we have <laughs> run out of time. I just need to really just say thank you for joining us again, oh. Andy, and thank you, Mike, for kind of coming all the way across the Atlantic via the wonders <laughs> of the internet to join Amen. us to talk about this. Amen. Uninvented, How the Bible Could Not Be Made Up and the Evidence That Proves It, published this year by Tupidi Publishing, available in all the usual places. Mike also has a website with lots more of his writing and thought on that. You can Google him and find him. So thanks, Andy, and thanks again for joining us for a second time on Pep Talk. We will see you again in a fortnight when we'll have another guest and we will encourage you further in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that is lost and needs it. Goodbye, everyone.